welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every week, decisions are made across Maine that affect the future of our environments. Lawmakers in Augusta propose or debate new bills. Mainers speak up on proposals made by corporations or state agencies. Clean energy projects are launched, or communities take action to address threats to clean air or water or open spaces that they cherish. Since 1959, NRCM has been on the front lines, tracking these developments and tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law. NRCM does this to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. So every two weeks, we'll sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories you need to know about and what lies ahead. Thank you for listening as we share our view from the front lines. I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, and I'm here with our Advocacy Director, Pete Didesheim, to discuss some of the top news affecting Maine, and our pe- uh, Maine people and our environment over the past couple of weeks. Well, Pete, it's been a pretty mild winter so far, um, but thankfully, since we last chatted, we've had a couple of snowfalls across Maine. Um, this gave me the chance uh, for a couple of lunchtime cross-country skis the other day, um, get some fresh air, clear my head. I know you're a big skier. Have you gotten a chance to get out and enjoy this pow-pow? Ooh, I wish I'd been out to the slopes. I haven't yet. I've been out cross-country skiing also a couple times. That's been wonderful. The conditions have been great. Looking forward to getting out to uh, do some downhill soon. Well, fingers crossed the snow keeps falling and uh, we can get you out to a mountain soon. I plan on um, Well, let's dive into what's new. Pete, uh, from where you sit, what were some of the most important developments for Maine's environment over the past couple of weeks? Uh, Well, you know, I've really been struck by two companies over the past two weeks, General Motors and Central Maine Power. It's really a study in contrasts. You could really say it's a tale of two companies. General Motors made this huge announcement a couple of weeks ago that they're going to move to entirely electric vehicles by 2035. That's a really big focus on the future. And meanwhile, we've just learned in recent days that CMP, Central Maine Power, has become the biggest obstacle to developing and connecting solar projects here in Maine to our grid. One company focused forward, one seems to be stuck in its past. Yeah, I think that distinction couldn't be clearer there. Um, So let's just explore this a little bit further. First, let's start with General Motors. Um, You know, from your perspective, why is this announcement such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because I think this is the inflection point we've all been waiting for. It's gonna play out um, over the next decade or so where we'll really see some momentum picking up. So GM pledged to sell only zero emission vehicles starting in 2035. They've announced that they're gonna spend $27 billion over this period from now till uh, 2025 on electric vehicles, launching 30 new EV models around the world starting in 2025 with more than two thirds of those here in North America. Uh, The technology apparently that's behind this big jump forward is a new battery they've developed called the Ultium, uh, which has a projected range of 450 miles. That's really great. You know, there's been this thing called range anxiety. And if people know that when they can charge it at night, they'll, they'll be able to go to 450 miles on that one charge. That's a really big deal. GM is the world's fourth largest automaker. And they're currently making billions selling gas guzzling trucks and SUVs. So the fact that they're making this big play to be a leader in the global automobile industry um, 
tells me and should send a signal to all of us that the days of the internal combustion engine are numbered. You know, it's going to take a while, but I think what we're going to see is the biggest change in the transportation sector in a century. And that's a big deal. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, CM really does seem to be taking this commitment seriously, especially if that Super Bowl ad with Will Ferrell is in the indication. Yes, it's hilarious. Um, He, of course, in that ad raises the alarm that Norway, uh, of all countries, is outcompeting the U.S. in electric vehicles by uh, a lot, not a little, a lot. Yeah, they're selling more uh, EVs per capita than the U.S. And he says, well, we won't stand for it. I mean, so that's pretty cool. That's what we want. We need to get to a race to save the planet here. We need the biggest companies that are connected to our fossil fuel sector to compete against each other to get off fossil fuels. Um, Ford, you know, has jumped in very quickly after GM's announcement to say that they're all in on going electric. And they've announced that they're doubling uh, their plans to 22 billion over the next uh, four years. Uh, VW's already committed 37 billion as their uh, play to invest in uh, EV development. So what we're going to see here is a is a global transformation. It's going to have some uh, difficult moments because electric vehicles are going to require uh, battery uh, factories. It's going to have an impact on this, you know. Uh, auto shops, there's all sorts of supply chain issues that are going to need to be worked through. Um, But this is really good news. As I said, we want competition among these companies. The UN General Secretary Antonio Guterres said just a couple days ago, quote, the drive to net zero must become the new normal for everyone, everywhere, for every country, every company. So I love that. And we're ready to see that competition among uh, automakers to develop the cars of the future. We gotta get there as fast as we can. Yeah, that's well put. And I think in another sign of the shifting winds, you know, we saw GM and several other automakers um, uh, announce that they're abandoning the lawsuit that they had joined um, during the Trump administration that was challenging California's clean car standards, which of course Maine has adopted. That's really great news. Uh, Toyota, Fiat, Chrysler, several other companies have all dropped their lawsuit. GM dropped it uh, shortly after the election. And so they're signaling that they want to work with the new Biden administration. So we're seeing an alignment here of within the Biden administration with the policy experts they've put in top positions, uh, their commitment to develop new fuel economy rules and the auto industry ready to work with them. You know, it, it makes me Think back to President Eisenhower's defense secretary who famously said, what's good for America is good for General Motors and what's good for General Motors is good for America. Mm. And it's true. If we can get back to the point where what's good for General Motors is good for the planet and what is good for the planet is good for General Motors, that's where we want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, lots of good union, high paying jobs as well. Yeah, prospects for for this to be, you know, as as President Biden said, when he hears climate change, he hears jobs. This yeah. is a huge opportunity for shifting into clean energy jobs. Totally. Well, let's just bring it up to Maine uh, for a little bit. So there were two national reports that were in the news that were re- released recently. One lauded Maine for our incentives to encourage more electric vehicles, but another 
uh, pointed out, we're still relatively behind the curve when it comes to the number of EVs on the roads. And, you know, as you know, emissions from cars and trucks are the largest source of carbon pollution here in Maine uh, and the nation. Um, and to tackle this problem, the state's new climate action plan calls for uh, accelerating the transition to electric vehicles, reducing vehicle miles traveled with, you know, broadband, remote work policies, investments in transit. So this, you know, this GM announcement is all well and good, but can you just talk a little bit about, you know, what's happening here on the ground in, in Maine to get more EVs on the roads, to get more EV drivers out there? Sure. So you're absolutely right to point out, Colin, that the, the um, transportation sector is the biggest slice of the carbon pie here with 54% of our carbon emissions coming from um, cars and trucks. And, um, and the Climate Action Plan does have really ambitious goals of getting to 41,000 light duty EVs by 2025, more than 200,000 by 2030, more than 900,000 on the road by 2050. Um, we do have uh, rebates. The Efficiency Main Trust is providing rebates. If you go to the Efficiency Main Trust, you'll see that, that they are offering a $2,000 rebate for, for the purchase of new EVs, $2,000 um, uh, for those EVs, then $1,000 for new plug-in hybrids. And there's also a low-income rebate of $5,500 for new EVs. 4,000 for plug-in hybrids, 2,500 for, for used um, EVs. And that's important because Mainers generally buy used cars and we generally buy trucks and SUVs. That's what is out on the road and they stay on the road for quite a while. So we, what we anticipate seeing is um, these EV incentives will stay or increase. The cost of EVs is going to um, start to get lower and lower and, and will reach a, a tipping point where, where the, the lifetime expense of owning an EV is the same or less than a conventional vehicle. And the, the customer market is going to drive this. Now, obviously, here in Maine, people are waiting to see electric trucks come onto the market. And there's a really interesting company called Rivian based in Michigan. They started in 2009. They've raised $8 billion to, uh, to bring forward electric pickup trucks and SUVs. And they expect those to hit the market uh, as early as this summer. And Amazon's a big investor in Rivian. And Amazon has placed an order for 10,000 EVs that will be used for delivering uh, their packages starting this summer. And Rivian hopes to produce 250,000 vehicles a year within a few years at a plant in Illinois. So I think we're going to see electric vehicles come onto the market um, for all different models, including trucks within a few years. I think the used EV market will pick up, and so Mainers will start purchasing those. But stepping back, I want to just share a quote from Rivian's founder and CEO who said, in my lifetime, we're going to go from a world where electric vehicles are a tiny subset of the market to where electric vehicles represent 100% of the market. That's pretty cool. And I think within a few decades, we are gonna see, yes, there's gonna be a lot of internal combustion vehicles still on the road, but we are gonna see EVs really take, take control of this market. We'll need a lot of charging stations and the Biden administration's made a commitment to 500,000 charging stations 
So that also is a big piece of this puzzle that has to fall into place. Well, those those charging stations, of course, um, you know, uh, deliver uh, energy to the cars, uh, hopefully clean energy to the cars, and that gets us to the other company you mentioned, uh, Central Main Power or CMP. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's going to surprise no one to hear that the state's largest utility seems to be putting up obstacles to renewable energy. Um, and the Portland Press Herald ran a blockbuster story last week that highlighted CMP's failures to effectively connect new solar projects with our electric grid. Can you talk in a, can you talk a little bit about you know what what's happening and why that matters in terms of our state's clean energy goals? Yeah, this is really troubling. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been hearing from solar developers that CMP had contacted them and were and were demanding. Uh, huge cost increases to connect their projects to the electrical grid. Uh, the details now have come forward in a couple of different stories in the Press Herald. And it looks like what CMP is doing is retroactively increasing the cost to connect to the grid, potentially threatening solar projects throughout the state. More than 100 solar projects in 74 communities have, have now received these revised cost estimates totaling tens of millions of dollars. And these are projects that companies like L.L. Bean and Pratt and & Whitney, school districts, towns, main people have been counting on to lower their energy bills. And many of these projects have already been built and are ready to start operating. And now CMP is saying that they need to pony up millions of dollars. One developer who's facing this increase had an, an initial interconnect agreement estimate of 250,000 and now has been informed that it, the cost is actually 9 million. That's totally incredible. And uh, we did just learn that the PUC is gonna launch an announcement, is launching an investigation. The governor has called for an investigation. And this needs to happen. This is from a company that um, has fought against solar energy development at the state house for 20 years and you know, it's happening when CMP is focused so much on developing this, this uh, corridor project from Canada down to Massachusetts. And one of the developers was quoted in a story just a couple of days ago, Robert Cleves, who's with Dirigo Solar. And his company has a bunch of projects and he's furious because of these cost increases. And his quote was, apparently, they had enough time to connect Canadian Hydro with Massachusetts ratepayers, but not enough time to connect Maine ratepayers with Maine Solar. So that's really um, a, a horrible situation. CMP has bungled the, mil the billing system in the state of Maine. They've been pursuing a corridor project that's in the wrong place and threatens to, uh, to um, slice a big quarter through 53 miles of forest land. And now they're failing Maine with actions that could threaten scores of solar energy projects that we need. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. It, it, uh, and uh, you mentioned the PUC um, is gonna uh, start an investigation. Um, you, you know, Governor Mills called for that investigation. And uh, also this week, um, our own, our very own staff attorney, Sue Ely, um, co-authored a Portland Press Herald op-ed with the Conservation Law Foundation and Maine Conservation Voters. So that's 
three of the state's most prominent environmental groups making clear that the PUC really has to intervene uh, and our clean energy future is at stake here. I just wanted to read one quick short passage from that op-ed. Um, they say CMP's performance here is not only unacceptable and embarrassing as a simple matter of competence, but also brings into question again, whether the company will be an obstacle in helping Maine achieve the transition to clean energy that is so crucial for our environment, our economy, and our climate. Yeah, one year ago, it's only one year ago, PUC fined CMP $10 million for their mismanagement of the billing system. And that was based on a Portland Press-Herald investigation that concluded that top management at Avangrid, CMP's parent company here in the US, which is owned by Iberdrola in Spain, was focusing too much on the CMP corridor project. And they took their eye off the ball of just delivering accurate bills to their customers. Mm. So they were fined $10 million a year ago. And CMP has spent more than $14 million in the past year to try to defeat any effort by Maine people to vote at the ballot box on whether to move forward with a CMP quarter. So they're spending millions to try to affect um, how voters or Mainers feel about this quarter project to Massachusetts. And then they're imposing these incredible uh, project killing new fees on solar energy projects. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's totally it's totally outrageous and hopefully we'll see the PUC respond quickly uh, in holding them accountable. And of course, solar is just one more, uh, just one of, you know, several promising clean energy sources for Maine that could power Maine. Um, another is offshore wind. Um, Governor Mills has made offshore wind a priority uh, for her administration and for the state and is moving forward with a test site for floating turbines. Um, in the Gulf of Maine. She also announced a 10 year moratorium on offshore wind in state waters as part of this really comprehensive stakeholder engagement process. She's undergoing with a um, wide variety of folks across Maine, including the fishing community and the marine industry. Uh, what's NRCM's take on how wind energy fits into this bigger clean energy future? Well, offshore wind is gonna be a big source of clean renewable power for the planet over the next several decades. We don't think that deep offshore wind is going to emerge in the Gulf of Maine uh, probably until about a decade out. So this moratorium is not, uh, we think that that's totally fine to provide a, uh, an opportunity and some time for, for interested parties to work out the right path forward. And we do think that there's um, room uh, in the Gulf of Maine to move ahead with this uh, research project. But I was, you know, there's big money moving towards uh, offshore wind in the same way that big money is moving towards the electric vehicles and transportation systems of the future. And just this week, two giant oil companies won huge um, shares of uh, offshore wind contracts in England. And it shows us that, that um, Companies, including in the fossil fuel sector, see what the future is going to um, entail for energy, and they're moving big amounts of money, tens of billions of dollars, towards the development of, of offshore wind. And we think Maine has the potential to be a player in that. Uh, Bath Ironworks is a, um, you know, is is one of the world's um, leading 
manufacturing facilities for the types of ships that could be used to, to service deep offshore wind. We've got an exciting project underway, Aquaventus up at the University of Maine to develop uh, a test uh, project. And I think this could be a, a source of jobs for the state. We've got um, port opportunities. So we support efforts to develop offshore wind. And we think that 10, 15 years from now, uh, we're quite confident that uh, offshore wind could be a significant source of renewable power that helps address the climate crisis and help replace fossil fuels. Yeah, that reminds me of this. I don't, I don't know if you recall that New York Times story um, titled, A Monster Wind Turbine is Upending an Industry, oh, just how be. fast this industry is moving. And it talked about GE's new wind turbine that's 853 feet tall. A single turbine is going to be able to churn out 13 megawatts of power, which is enough to light up a town of roughly 12,000 homes, according to the article. From a single, I mean, that's, from a single turbine. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's astounding. Yeah. Um, well, so we've got to wrap it up. But before we go, as we do every time, Pete, can you just tell us what's coming up in the next few weeks that you're going to be paying attention to? Well, I'm paying a lot of attention to the to what's happening at the state house. Um, so bills are being printed, hearings are starting to happen. In the next couple of weeks, we'll get um, opportunities to testify on a bunch of bills. Um, there's an important hearing coming up that will be next week on the 16th. Uh, that the um, it'll focus on the Kennebec management plan that the Department of Marine Resources has developed. Um, if you want to uh, participate in that and bring your voice forward in support of removal of dams on the Kennebec to help restore the Kennebec and its fisheries, uh, go to the NRCM website and look at the, um, uh, the action page or the events page, and um, that'll give you the information you need to testify on that. And um, we still are waiting for the governor's bond package uh, that probably will be announced at, at the state of the state, which will be probably the week after next. And that's gonna be a critical um, opportunity for us to see what one of the, the big efforts in the upcoming uh, legislative session will be to bring new money for land conservation, for energy efficiency weatherization, for other investments that relate to the climate action plan. So lots of stuff happening. Well, there you have it. That's the latest news on Maine's environment, but before we go, there's one very noteworthy event um, that unfortunately the newspapers didn't cover, but that I can't forget to mention. Um, our colleague Beth Como just celebrated her 25th anniversary at NRCM. Um, and I'm sure many listeners, many supporters of Matt are spoken with Beth over the years, which is a testament to how, how, we rely, how much we rely on her for, well, basically everything. Um, so I'm going to close out with a Huge thank you and a shout out to Beth for all her hard work. Um, and of course, we'll speak to you all uh, again in a few weeks. And until then, I hope you're able to get out and enjoy that snow. Yeah, I'm gonna. All Thanks right, see you, Pete. All right, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast listening apps. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NRCM Environment. Until next time, 
Thanks for your interest, attention, and involvement in the collective efforts by Maine people to protect the unique woods, waters, and wildlife of our state. Thanks again.